Okay, welcome everybody to Free Trail Friday. My name is Dylan Bowman. Super happy to have you here to get started for your weekend here on the Free Trail YouTube channel. And we are joined by our esteemed guest, Mr. Buzz Burrell. Buzz, how are things in the People's Republic of Boulder? <laughs> Indeed. Well, I guess you've been here before. Good to see you, D-Bull. It's been a long time. I wish I was seeing you in person, but this is close enough. Yeah, we had uh, six inches of snow yesterday, but sunshine right now. The trails are going to be muddy for a while, but the bike paths are plowed, so it's all good. What a great place. My dad actually just FaceTimed me from the merry-go-round, which is the lunch cafeteria on Aspen Highlands Mountain in Aspen, Colorado. Of course, I'm a Coloradan myself. Miss it. Hopefully I can make a trip there soon. But Buzz should need no introduction to our audience here today. He has worn many hats in the sport and in the industry He's a pioneer of the game. He worked at La Sportiva. He ran Ultimate Direction for many years. He was the co-founder of Fastest Known Time, which will occupy most of our conversation today. As most of our viewers will probably know by now, a week ago it was announced that the Fastest Known Time website was acquired by Outside as a way to buttress and expand their outdoor and lifestyle media portfolio, and we'll get all into that in today's conversation. First, a big thank you to our sponsor of Free Trail Friday, that being Aura. You guys have heard me talk about this many times before. The Aura Ring is uh, a very generous supporter of Free Trail and the presenting sponsor of Free Trail Friday. So if you are in the market for a slick piece of wearable technology, I would absolutely recommend an Aura Ring to track your sleep monitor your training stress, or generally get a glimpse into how your body is operating. As trail runners, that's obviously important. My wife actually this week shuttled over a hundred boxes to the post office to ship off some of our first order of merch from Free Trail and the Aura Ring sensed her stress in that moment and tagged it as a workout. So shout out to Harmony for shuttling all those boxes and shout out to everybody who ordered some of those boxes and a big thank you to Aura Ring for sponsoring the show. If you're in the market, please do use the link in the description here in YouTube. You can get a six month free subscription with purchase of a Gen 3 Aura Ring uh, if you take advantage of that link in the show notes. So with all that being said, Buzz, welcome to the show. I gave you a brief introduction there. I'm sure I was missing some things in my characterization of you and your career. How else would you maybe describe your professional and athletic exploits for those who are unfamiliar just to get things started here? Well, you left off swing dancing, Dylan. I'm, uh, you know, some people think that it's the best thing I do. That's all they know me for, but no one else has ever heard of such a thing. And actually, I've gotten into surf ski. You have to Google that since no one's ever heard of surf ski. So I do that in Michigan quite a bit. But I've got to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to congratulate you for second place at Hard Rock. That was huge. The podium there is a big deal. And sorry for kind of jumping in here. Good job with free trail. You do. We work really hard at this, Dylan, and I appreciate what you do. Well, Buzz, I, I really appreciate that. And you've been an inspiration for me for many years. And uh, 
Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about here today because you're sort of now stepping into retirement just as I'm stepping into probably the hardest years of my professional career. But we'll, of course, talk all about Fastest Known Time and the recent acquisition by Outside. But before we get to that, like I mentioned, you worked at Sportiva for a while. You ran Ultimate Direction. You obviously have a lot of experience on the brand side of the sport. How did you get your start in the outdoor industry? Wow, that's a good question. I really wasn't intending to do anything of the kind. You mentioned what else have I done, and wow, that would be kind of a long list right there. But I helped start the microbrewing industry as a sales manager at Association of Breweries. I had the earliest organic fruit farm certified in the state of Colorado. Yabba, yabba, yabba. I was a green builder. So I was involved with uh, ecological design and construction as a certified contractor. And then I just started working with La Sportiva because I was doing stuff. And it was very nascent. You know how that goes. It was really ground floor. I said, hey, you know, do you want, do you want me to do a few things here? So I just kind of eased into it in that fashion. And at the time, I was still working my construction job, which was green design and construction of homes. But I could kind of do both at the same time. You know, with a miracle of the cell phone, you, know, you can be on top of Long's Peak. As long as you got reception, you can keep it all happening. Keep the balls in the air. And La Sportiva, what a good company, really good people. But I actually felt a little frustrated. Um, I kind of hit a ceiling there. The sales manager, really good guy, really knowledgeable, a little bit of a turf battler. And so I don't think he really wanted me to do the things that were possible there. Again, really good, competent people in the products. This, you know, this is not corporate owned. This is a conversation we're going to get into here in yeah. a few minutes. But La Sportiva is family owned in the Italian Dolomites. And one of the hard parts for them to make money is their shoes are so well constructed. They don't wear out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, maybe you've noticed this. You buy some other brands, not naming any names. And, you know, in two months, you got to throw them away. But a La Sportiva shoe, you can wear for about a year. So it was, it was fun to work there, but I really hit this ceiling that I couldn't really go anywhere with else with it. And then someone said, hey, Buzz, they're applying for a job. They're open to a job as brand manager for Ultimate Direction. The thing, it just flatlined. It was going nowhere. It was like the revenue is the same as you know someone selling candles at a, you know, holiday fair. It was just nothing happening. And so I walked in there and said, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> it's finally... You know, someone turns me loose. If someone turns me loose, it's like, okay, yeah. that's all I care about. Now we're going to go places. And we crushed it. You know, as you know, yeah. you've been in the sport a little while. The world of hydration has never been the same since. People coming in the sport now, it's like, oh, yeah, you get a vest. You got comes in sizes, fits close to the body. It doesn't bounce, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't how the game was played back then. So we literally changed the whole style. People started making money. And then a couple of years after that, everybody had copied us yeah. <laughs> from, you know, Osprey to you know, Camelback, obviously Solomon, et cetera, et cetera. So imitation is a real compliment, but also as a little, you know, we had to up our game quite yeah. a bit. And then, pardon me, I'll be done with this in just a second. Keep going. Then the same thing happened. We kind of hit, I hit my ceiling on the ownership. I didn't own Ultimate Direction. Yeah. I did all the sales, the marketing, in charge of the sales, marketing, and uh, production, product. But we were owned by a bigger company. Yeah. And they just didn't know what was going on. They were just that classic example, that 
cliche that some people are thinking was true in this case. There's things we needed to do. I saw a runway here, but I couldn't do them. It wasn't my job. The overall company had to get an overseas warehouse in Europe and another one in Asia. And I, I can't do that. So I kind of eh, sort of topped out there. I hit the ceiling of what I could do. And as soon as I do that, I get bored. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very low threshold of boredom. So I had to go somewhere else. And that enabled me to go uh, more full-time into fastestonetime.com. <laughs> and what a perfect setup for the rest of our conversation. But yeah, it is really well said about ultimate directions position within the sport and its history lineage within the sport, because it really did pioneer the race vest technology that's since been adopted by every brand under the sun. And you guys were doing it before it was cool. And speaking of which you were also trail running before it was cool. And I think you could probably provide some interesting perspective to our audience. Of course, the sport has grown so much in the last decade and the, people who maybe are coming into the sport more recently don't understand really what it was like in those early days. And I'm curious just for my own knowledge, at what point you really felt that the sport was kind of achieving escape velocity within the greater context of the outdoor industry? Wow. I love that question. I never thought of that question. The thought never occurred to me. You know, it's like you're the frog in the slowly warming to boiling point pot of water. I don't, I don't really perceive that. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And then if I think about it, as you provoked me to do, then I might be able to see these milestones there. And I think then I, rather than a singularity, I would note um, various milestones, if you will. I think uh, the jerker, Scott Jurek, is one because he got paid. Like, he was really the first were, athlete to make a living from the sport, probably, huh? And Trace uh, that's, to that's, a certain degree before him. But he was oh, part of people were doing cohort. it. Yeah. 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 People were definitely doing it. So that's why it's a milestone. As you said, escape velocity. And that means people are going to hear about it when the money comes in and the company's going to start putting out ads and you know, start developing special shoes and things like that. So I think Scott was the first person to make a living. I'm pretty sure about that in the sport of trail running now in the road and track that's that's a little bit different but you know i ran my first um ultra distance before scott was born (laughs) and so there's definitely things going on before that but i I think that's a good milestone and and i think killian is another good milestone isn't he i mean killian jornet i mean Dudes like Scott don't doubt this guy's ability. I mean, he's he's like the Beatles. I mean, you say, oh, be fair the Beatles were a good band. <laughs> they did good music. And, you know, Killian's like that. He's totally authentic. He's an outstanding athlete and he's famous. You know, so it's a wonderful aspect of the two going hand in hand, isn't it? Yeah. You have a core athlete who really is the best mountain ultra trail runner of his generation who has become prosperous and famous while legitimately so. So that's another milestone I would identify. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for painting that picture. And it makes me want to ask too, as we move towards the fastest known time conversation, which I think this will sort of provide a 
good introduction to you mentioned that you ran your first ultra distance before Scott Jerk was born. So that's probably 45 years ago. So yeah, you provide a, an interesting lens into the development, the evolution of the sport. And of course, things have really accelerated in the last dozen years, at least since I've been in the sport. I'm wondering what you feel remains the same. You know, is this a situation where we should be really concerned about the trajectory the sport's on? Or do you see a similar ethos, similar values to those that were present in the sport 40 plus years ago? Ooh, <laughs> Boy, what a fun conversation we're having, aren't we? <laughs> so that it, I'm going to have to kind of do a little bit of a bigger answer to that one because I hear that. That's kind of part of the zeitgeist now is that the sport is changing. How is the sport changing? It's becoming too professional, yabba, yabba all of which are interesting questions, all of which are fun conversations. And I'm going to kind of be a little uh, punchy right here. None of which really matters that much <laughs> because I'm going to hit the bottom line. Again, I, I like the question. I like the conversation. It's fun to have. But what it comes down to is what are you experiencing? Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? You're in charge. Yeah. Who cares what they're doing? Who cares what they're doing? Right here, baby, that's what matters. So you are in charge of your trail or ultra running experience. And so, yabba, yabba. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the same time, you know, we're going to say, you know, like the Pilettis, you know, Catherine and Michael Pilletti up at the World Ultra Tour. They're kind of sort of taking over the world. You got their little farm systems. You kind of have to pay to play to get into UTMB. It's like, wow, that's a little weird. But if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, it's well said, Buzz, and I was actually going to ask you about this a little bit later on because we did a little roundtable here on the live stream a couple of weeks ago with Sabrina Little, Zoe Rome, and Mario Fraioli, where we talked about the article that Sabrina Little wrote for Iron Far probably about a month ago now. And your comment in the comment section of that article stood out to me, and I just want to sort of read what you said there, because it, it's basically reemphasizing the point that you just made. And what you said is, I'll note that we don't decide anything about our sport. There is no governing body. There is no vote. We definitely do decide we as individuals, what we as individuals are going to do, how we feel and where our attention and our money go. We vote with our feet. We are always in control of that. So for our viewers, for our listeners, let's always remember that. So Buzz, let's start talking about this fastest known time thing, which is of course making big news in the sport at the current moment. First, to just get us started, maybe paint a picture of the origin of the FKT phenomenon. And in doing so, maybe also introduce us to Peter Bachwin and any other characters that you think are relevant to the story. Great. First, though, I want to thank you for the research that you did. You had that quote prepared and ready. So listeners, Debo is getting it done. I respect you. I want to see good quality. I want to see professionalism. And so excellent job. Thank you very much. Thank you. FKT is we don't own the IP on it, meaning we don't own a trademark on it, as we should not. It, the concept, what it means has been here all along, right? And so what Peter and I did is popularized it. We put it on the map. And for that, I'm very happy about that because it's here. It's done. It's, it's a legacy that will literally never go away. 
in different sports, you know, our website can find ourselves to running and hiking because of our bandwidth, just our effort output. We, we, we just kind of kept it right in that narrow channel. But if you're going to go mountain bike the White Rim in Utah, they're going for the FKTs, baby. You know, Payson McElveen, you know, the Lachlan Mortons of the world. So other sports, it's an FKT. I was in Beijing a number of years ago getting interviewed by the runner's world for Beijing. Of course, it's being translated because it's all in Mandarin until he said FKT. That's the same in yeah. Mandarin or English. Yeah. And so it's literally part of the vernacular, which I think is terrific because I think unlike uh, in counterpoint, what we're saying about the UTMB circus, which by the way, I think it's really fun. I mean, if you're never, you have to go to UTMB just once just to see what's up. So I don't have a criticism, but it's like that. If you don't want to do that, you can go over here and you just do an FKT, right? <laughs> and that's how Peter and I looked at it. We were doing it. This is our lifestyle. This is really what we had prioritized all along, but I did. You know, I got into hard rock once before, you, before all you had to do was enter back when that's all you had to do and it was canceled due to the snow and then i kept thinking i was going to go back but god i had too many things to do mm -hmm. <laughs> too many projects i wanted to do i'd run the women nucci a little bit down in the san juans etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. and fkts just became known as what i wanted to do is what peter wanted to do and i think it really took shape when the two of us set the fkt which wasn't called that back then on the john muir trail yeah so I wanted to I wanted to start with this too because you described on the recent podcast announcing this acquisition that some of the inspiration for the founding were trips that you and Peter had made on the Colorado Trail and the John Muir Trail and it seems like the FKT phenomenon was really born out of your guys's friendship but maybe provide some color on those adventures including just how novel that approach was at the time doing these big long trails in the light and fast quote unquote, trail running style, which has since become so popular in the current era. Just sort wow. of give us a glimpse into just how different that was at the time. Wow. The GMT was the four minute mile, <laughs> the four day GMT. And you nowadays it's been lowered, but at that time it was, it was not a thing. And when we approached it, you know, we had Blake Wood, Tim Twitmeyer, and you know, Tim had won states a number of times. Blake still is one of the best ultra runners. No, forget that. One of the best runners anywhere. Yeah. I'm not sure if people are quite aware of this. Yeah. And they had set a history on that. And as we were looking into it, so combining FKTs with the color you asked for, you couldn't figure it out. I mean, I spent days trying to figure out who had the fastest time. I was writing people. I was looking at microfiche um, online articles from the LA Times trying to figure this stuff out. And th th that's how this term, the term had been used before, by the way, okay. by uh, Bill Wright. But it came into my mind because it was the fastest known time. Mm -hmm. As far back as I could go, there's still people who are throwing down. We just never heard of them. Yeah. It's hard to believe that in the pre-internet era that all sorts of badass stuff took place that nobody knew about. So pardon me, Dylan, but I wanted to kind of yeah. set the business stage. Sure. And then in terms of the, the color for it, Peter and I approached it very differently. I think back then it was... Well, started to be known as fast packing after an article appeared in trail running magazine. You might 
remember that one. We weren't fast packer. We, we, we were, we were going to run it. And I think at the time, we brought to it was a comfort and knowledge of backcountry that better runners didn't quite have. And so we could kind of push that envelope into a different place. We didn't have to have a lot of support. We didn't have to carry a lot of gear because we were at home in the mountains. Yeah. We, sorry, but we knew this stuff. Technical train, night, stream crossing, Yabba, all that was comfy for us. And so we could go out there with very, very lightweight gear and basically run it. So we, we kind of, I think we're probably one of the first to adopt a running type approach rather than a fast packing type approach. Pioneers, like I said at the beginning here. So fast forwarding a little bit, at what point did you really start to feel momentum behind this FKT phenomenon? And at what point was it clear that it had penetrated the vernacular and the zeitgeist of the outdoor industry? I think when we started to get uh, um, queries from national media. You know, I think, uh, you know, Brian Metzler, trail runner, later Doug Mayer, trail runner, people like that. They're they following. These are smart guys. You know who these people are. But then the Washington Post would call, you know, things like that. <laughs> Which is different, yeah. Which is a little different. <laughs> and so I said, okay, people are paying attention to this sort of thing. Peter at that time, bless his heart, was has keeping track of things on his free online template called pro boards. People might remember that it's pretty primitive, but it enabled Peter to labor and keep track of it. But it started to go like this and me, I was at ultimate direction. I was like, man, we got to do something. We got to do something. But I was kind of didn't want to sit in front of a computer any more than I had to. But then the last two years at UD, I went to half time. By going to half time, I could put half time into fkt.com. And we said, okay, let's crank this up to a place where it needs to be. And Peter and I sat down and thought about this. And we took on a third equal partner who was a web developer. That's what we did. We could do everything. We can't do that. And no web development. And Jeff Schuler came on as a third equal partner. And he worked pretty hard that, you know, for six months and custom wrote exactly what you see now. That's all custom code. That's not a WordPress blog template. And we launched, where are we here? Within nine, we're nine days away from our four-year anniversary. It was uh, March 27th, 2018. We went live and boom. Okay. So how did it was, that website, it was ready to happen? Yeah. Okay. So how did that website redevelopment accelerate and support this growth that you were seeing on this more rudimentary message board that Peter had created? It was just easier to interface with. Mm-hmm. You had to be really into it. The interface with the with pro boards. Yeah. You know, you had to say, "This is what I want to do," and seek circuit seek it out. But once we had the actual website with the actual homepage and things like that, then it was like. Boom. It was ready to happen. It wasn't us. We didn't advertise. We didn't promote. We didn't do anything like that. It was like people wanted this service and they found it. They said, okay. And then not my idea, but Craig Randall suggested the podcast. It's okay. I'll do a podcast. 
and people like the podcast. <laughs> so I think that kind of here, here's a little one-liner, if you don't mind, Dylan, because obviously you're a podcaster. We had this whole website, we had this whole database, we had tons of information on it. It was kind of like the New York Times, you know, which is like that thick. It's like 80 pages. But the New York Times op-ed page is the crux of the entire publication. Is yeah. then people understand why they should care. Yeah. That bed page explains why you should read the rest of the newspaper. So it's kind of what the podcast does. People listen to this, they go, oh, I get it. This is why, this is putting into context. This is why you should care about the rest of it. So I think the podcast actually helped a little bit. Yeah, but really, it's not, it isn't us. It's like, you know, sometimes people think, Hey, I, I really want to submit a route to you guys. I really want to help you guys out. It's like, we don't care. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's just more work for us. Yeah. We're providing a service. This is crowdsource database. Mm -hmm. It's just a service. We've supplied a structure for other people to come and participate in this structure. Yeah. So at what point, Buzz, did it become clear <laughs> that the fastest known time community and this movement was more than a side hustle. At what point did it become clear that FKT could potentially be a business, not just a catalog of people's various adventures in the mountains? I always thought it would, but then that's kind of me. I'm, I kind of tend to be uh, like five years ahead of the game and everything. So I actually always thought that. I think it kind of went like that when the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. When we uh, got going, Peter was doing all the processing of all root and FKT submissions. And I should say, unlike Strava, which is, again, a fantastic service. Yeah. I use Strava every day. Um, but very much unlike their segments, which are just so diluted that they're worthless, at least to me, we manually review every single submission. Whoa. Every route. Every FKT, some individual person's looking at it, verifying it, make sure it's all okay. And that person was Peter Backwin. <laughs> and then when he starts getting 10 a day, it's like, whoa, this is, hmm, got to up our game here. So you took on some support. Maybe if there's any statistics that you have off the top of your head about how the pandemic accelerated what was sort of slower, more organic growth, I'd love to hear that just like at what point yeah. did the did it become clear that the pandemic was going to force you guys to scale in a way that you hadn't to that point right well put um just like a month in two months in you know i think march 10th uh, 2020 will be a known day that's when we had official pandemic and certainly by may you know people realized mm, races aren't happening mm, not supposed to go there, 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 but I can do cool stuff right here. And so the thing just, I think we had a, we were doubling our submissions about in eight months there, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was, the submissions were doubled before the end of the year. So easily. let's talk a little bit about the economics of the whole thing to the extent that you can as somebody who economics. <laughs> hey, we're trail runners, D, but we don't talk money. Ooh, money's dirty. We can't talk yeah, about yeah. money. Can we? So, you know, <laughs> somebody who's posted a few FKTs myself, I know that there was a prompt sort of soliciting donations to help keep the lights on. And I think you probably did some partnerships, some advertising stuff, 
But were there other ways that you guys were monetizing this thing that was exploding in front of you? Like, can you give us, as we talk about the business side of fastest known time, can you give us any color as to what the revenue was looking like? And obviously you don't need to provide numbers, but just give us a sense of the business model. Right. Uh, another sh sharp question. This, this is to me interesting. Hopefully it'll be interesting to other people as well. Um, on the direct specific response to that is there was very little revenue here considering what was getting done. And that's because we ended up taking on regional editors who were volunteers. We ended up with 17 all over the world who volunteering their time. We had Allison Mercer who kind of became our customer service person. We, we said, hey, we need, she didn't ask for any money. We said, we need to pay you something. Craig Randall did the newsletter and, and tried to sell ads. And so our revenue had a few streams. One was the so-called contributor model, which Outside Magazine went to before they were sold, mm -hmm. which is, hey, yo, everyone, you got you know, kicked in here. The internet is not free. I'll say that again in case anyone misses. The internet is not free. Such an <laughs> I mean, people have been so accustomed to free service on the internet that trying to monetize in any way has become really painful. Keep going. Right. Right. And so I was originally thinking, sure, we'll do banner ads, you know, do, 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 sell something to Prospertiva, Nike, whomever. And you, banner ads, you, you get paid by the CPI, you know, the impressions. Yeah. It's like $11 per 1000 And the way to really bump up the impressions is to have salacious content. That's why when you go to your local newspaper or anything, the bottom three quarters of the page is just wacko clickbait. Because that's where the money is. If you if you write something that's really thoughtful and really serious, you have to you should pay that person something, and they taking time to do it. But if you don't get the clicks, you don't get paid. Yeah, you see what I mean. So it's 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 a very awkward situation the to be a CPI. Yeah, they are. I mean, you you, you want to have uh, you know do this for breast enlargement. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's where the the revenue comes in, apparently, because that's what you see all the time. Yeah. And so that model was not looking good. So I said, let's, let's start a Patreon, yeah. get a Patreon uh, account, and let's just ask for donations and things like that. But if it's okay with you, I'll kind of shift gears here Please. a little bit. Okay. And so now, which we're going to talk about, we've sold out to a fairly large company in this space. In other uh, frameworks, it's not a large company at all. But in terms of the outdoor media, it's one of the largest companies outside Interactive Inc. So people say, oh, no, no, no. who knows what they think? I'm not sure. And if someone gets says, oh, man, why they do that? That's too bad. You know, it's, it's not going to be as personal as it once was before. That's a fair comment. You know, I, I'd, I'd like to see how it's going to turn out myself. I think their concerns are very justified. And I would say, well, did you contribute to us? And I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing this right now online here, but if I was face to face, I'd kind of say the same thing. <laughs> it's all, you, you said you don't need a number, but I'll give it to you. I mean, Patreon per month, we're a little over $500 a month. Yeah. And this is three people plus the regional editors, plus Craig and Allison, plus server space, plus my $39.99 microphone I bought from Amazon. 
And so it's like, wow, okay, guys. I mean, if, if you didn't want us to sell, you know, kicking in a little bit here might have gone a long way. So we're, we're kind of all in it together, I yeah. guess, is one way to put this. Thank you for saying that, Buzz. <laughs> we don't need to go into my situation, but I can say that I totally identify with everything that you just said. And as we move the conversation towards outside and but stay sort of in this topic of the business model, obviously for them to make a purchase like this, they probably obviously saw value in the web traffic, saw value in probably the data that you'd aggregated over the course of years. Was the business at a point where they also saw value in your revenues? It sounds like probably not at that point. It was more in the Correct. brand and in the service and they're maybe thinking that they would be able to monetize it better. Yes. I think you're correct. You know, there's classic multipliers, you know, three to four times EBITDA, uh, 10 times gross, things like that. You know, that we, we wouldn't have panned out at the classic multipliers, but then that was sort of, that's old school anyway. Just look at Amazon. Amazon doesn't pay dividends. Facebook doesn't pay dividends. They weren't even profitable when they hit like a trillion dollars market cap or maybe maybe $100 billion market cap before they even turned a profit. So the traditional multipliers don't really, aren't as pertinent as they once were. So as you correctly noted for us, what are you buying? Well, you're buying goodwill and a really good community, in my opinion, a good community. I mean, I, I love everyone we've interacted with. And look at the name. As we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, you have fastest known time. You know, we're, we're it. You, you can't really compete against that. Right now, there's, pardon me, a lot of podcasts, there's different publications, there's different races, all kinds of things going on. But fastestknowntime.com is kind of right here. And that's got nothing but runway ahead of it. Yeah. So what can you share about the acquisition process? Did you guys get to a point where the partners were ready to take a back seat? Did you actively seek potential buyers or was it a situation where outside or others came to you wanting to bring this into their portfolio? Well, hasn't Mark Zuckerberg contacted you, Dylan? <laughs> no, no. Not, not hey, Debo, yet. love what you do, bro. Come on. Yeah. Hey, I'll have my people talk to your people when we can do this. You know, and hasn't, you haven't got that call yet? I'll check my email once we're done here, Buzz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, as I mentioned earlier, somehow I have this history of hitting a ceiling on ownership. I, I did it again with this. And I was a part owner. So all of a sudden I was involved with this and we went bonk and I'll just say it. I was quite frustrated. Yeah. You know, we were on the outside, you know, having a good time, things are going well, but on the inside, I was quite frustrated because it was time to go take the next step. We've done a really good job establishing the brand, the credibility. You know, Jeff is an excellent person and web developer. And Peter, of course, is just a saint, almost literally a saint. And one of my best friends and a great runner. So everything looked pretty good there. But once we got it established, okay, now it's time to provide the community with what they need, which is add the other sports in, right? Add cycling in, add skiing in, add paddling. We had the structure. All you have to do is do a little more web development. And now you can add the other sports in. And here's a killer one for you. It's one and done. You're an excellent runner. You're going to go for the FKT and rim to rim to rim. I was no. hoping you would bring this up. Keep <laughs> because you're not going to get it. Because you know who has it. Yep. And so we basically, our structure, our business model took us right out 
of the impressions game. Jim Walmsley is not going to get beat, you know, but you can throw down. You can have a great time. You can come in number two. You can come in number three. You can do all sorts of things. You're coming in with 20,000 Instagram followers said, hey, I'm going for the FKT. I'm rim to rim to rim, et cetera, et cetera. So this whole scene happens. People can start spectating it. We can give you a place to play by establishing a leaderboard. This isn't that complicated. Imagine a race where the winner got a ribbon and no one else did. Nobody else was acknowledged. <laughs> At all. Yeah. Not mentioned. And imagine if they didn't set the course record and then they weren't even acknowledged. So you go to a race and unless you set the course record, your name is not mentioned. And that at this point in time is what fkt.com is. It's winner take all. So this is stupid. So let's just get you know leaderboard. Let's go for a few more sports. And then let's do at least one age group. Have yeah. you ever been to a race where there's no age groups? So you got you rent the porta potties, you mark the course, you get your insurance, you get all your age stations, you do this whole scene, and 100 people show up because there's no age groups. It's a losing proposition. No one would do that, but that's what we were doing. So it was time to up the game. And, you know, Jeff is an equal owner. He's a web developer. And if he didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, sorry, if, if he didn't do it, we weren't going to do it. Nothing I could do about that. I could have tried to buy out my partners because I was keen to do this. But instead, it was time to sell the business. So I, in answer to your question, was the one who got going on selling the business. I reached out to Outside Magazine. Wow. Buzz, thank you so much for giving us that detailed answer to the question. And I think every reasonable person who just listened to that can understand that. Yeah. There's a huge potential for this to grow and expand and be more important in its next incarnation than it was in its last incarnation. And you guys have done such a great job building it, but at a certain point you need to hit the gas pedal a little bit and you need help in hitting that gas pedal sometimes. So of course, outside has been on a bit of a purchasing spree, rolling up a dozen plus brands and publications across a myriad of sports and lifestyle publications. And I know you've been on the record that you think that outside was the right person to steward the fastest known time movement into its next generation. What was it about the process and your interaction with the people at outside that gave you that confidence? Mm, wow. Well, I first contacted a man named John Dorn, who I knew somewhat, not real well, and I liked and respected. And we talked and, you know, it's just like, yeah, we, you know, he got it. I got him. And I always been a fan of the publication. I liked the long form journalism. I've just kind of been a fan myself. This is where John Krakauer, you know, was a did freelance for them. Tim Cahill, this, they, they've got a pretty good tradition of things that I care about. I'm not a Twitter kind of guy. I think sometimes it takes a little bit of time to develop a thought or an idea. And I respected that. <laughs> and then I'm not sure if you know this, but pocket outdoor media, shockingly to me, bought outside, not the other way around. Right. Outside is the big, mm -hmm. right. They adopted the name of what they purchased 
which is really, I didn't see that coming at all. Outside is the big dog in the room and they are the ones that got bought. So now they had all these titles and now they own climbing magazine, backpacking magazine and trail runner. And I thought, yeah, we can be a part of that. I like that. We can get some cross title synergy going and uh, develop some good content. It was always kind of wanted more than a database. And so I, I liked it. I liked the, uh, the potential synergy with outside. We actually had a couple other suitors who probably would have been very good. And my apologies, we didn't go in that direction, but this is just the direction it went. I mean, to me, it seems like the perfect match. And uh, I know we're all anxious to see what outside does with this huge commitment that they've made to try and amplify not only trail running, but um, many different sport and lifestyle pursuits that people are really passionate about. And of course, Buzz, I don't think it's controversial to say that trail runners are inherently and and rightfully in a lot of cases, very protective of sort of the spirit of the sport and especially cautious about the potentially corrupting influence of money. What would you say to the person out there who is passionate about the FKT movement and what it stands for, but who is worried that this acquisition acquisition maybe represents sort of a corporatization of what has been a grassroots phenomenon to this point. I would say first, thank you. <laughs> I love people like that. I mean, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Peter and Jeff would say the same thing. Thank you. Because again, we were crowdsourced. And it's people like you, the person you just described, Dylan, that made it what it is. You know, we're a community. We provided the structure and the platform and you made it what it is. Your passion and how you cared about it is where it went. So, of course, that's where we were anyway also. But so I would, secondly, I would say, keep it up, right? Stay passionate, stay caring, stay picky (laughs) hold people's toes to the fire i think that's i think that's wonderful i think we need more critical thinking and at the same time i am hoping that the resources that outside is bringing to this you know they've hired some very bright people by the way and they hired people out of tech fields so it could look a little uncool at first because the people are coming in are not like runners but they're really good technically and so that's actually our gap and so i think the upgrades that i mentioned that will provide better service to the community they will enact for example our map on the front page is pretty crude they're going to integrate that map with gaia and trail forks yeah. you know trail forks by the way is they own trail forks they own gaia but trail forks you know, all those 10 different NAV programs. That's a very good one that they own. And I think they're going to integrate the map. So all three will be the same. That's like, well, that's, I think this will be a better service. So again, thank you. Thank you everybody for caring so deeply. Keep it up. Yeah. And also, yeah, it's up to us. It's up to the community to the point that you made earlier in our conversation to call things out when we see them that we think aren't, authentic to the spirit and to the thing that we are all very protective of and defensive about that being the spirit of trail running and the fastest known time movement. You just sort of brought up what outside plans to do with fastest known time in the future. They sort of published a list 
of things that were in their near-term roadmap, including the Gaia GPS integration that you just mentioned. Of course, Gaia is now owned by Outside as well. Any other things that you mention or that you want to mention aside from that and maybe some rudimentary sort of technological user experience, user interface upgrades that we could maybe expect that you guys spoke about during this transaction process? Well, I sent them a list. <laughs> I, I had compiled a list that I used to send to Peter and Jeff and didn't go anywhere. So I, I had my master list of upgrades, I think would provide better service to the movement. And so now they have that. They, I think they totally get that. They might you know, add here and subtract there, things like that. But I think they realize that the ROI on this needs to happen by bringing some more people into the routes. And right now, someone submits a route from Malaysia, literally, and he's the only one who's going to see it. But someone has to spend 10 minutes processing the route, then he submits his FKT on that, which takes another 10 minutes, but that's it. It's one and done. It's not a good ROI. Yeah. So we need to get the leaderboards. We need to get, you know, I, I think they're going to probably do something like this. And they need to either leaderboards or just reset per year. That's another cool way to do it, right? So you got the FKT for 2021 and you reset it for 2022. And then you can, with a little bit of web development, you can have the master list and the annual list. Mm -hmm. So that's why people can start iterating. People can start going after it. People like you, not me, can still you know have a go at some of these stout roots that right now are kind of a little reachy, yeah. but if you reset it every year, it's like, yeah, let's throw down. Let's have some fun. Love I that. think they're going to do things like that, but I don't ask me. I don't, sure. I'm not speaking for them. Yeah. And we'll get to your current or your upcoming role or lack thereof here in a second. What about the monetization? I think there's people who are probably rightfully concerned that the whole FKT website is going to be behind a paywall and therefore putting a financial fence between them and their opportunity to go out and chase goals in an unsanctioned way that probably should be free in a lot of people's minds. Do you have any idea how outside plans to get the ROI that you mentioned on this investment, how they plan to monetize? Well, I think they're going to clean up the tech first, the back end. The website is written in a language that's really kind of awkward. This is sort of like, no one's going to notice this, hopefully. And kind of bring that into a, uh, from a software point of view, an easier to manage uh, uh, system. But then I think they're going to try to add some of these features that I mentioned. But I think what you're referring to is outside plus, which is, that's the paywall. It's $100 a year. I think they do discounts. And that I right now they're saying, people have asked that. I think I, they're saying they're not going to do that. Personally, I think they will. And I think that's, they should I mean, again, there's nothing's free. So like, yo, hello. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, I, I would just flip it right back to you. I mean, you're working hard. You're doing a good job. You're providing service. I don't think you're getting paid. You got those that ring that you promoted. It's a good. I'm like, yeah, good. That's a good. I think that ring company got good service by by kicking in a few dollars to you because you did a good job there. But that's what it looks like, folks. Yeah. So and every I'm going to kind of goes back into the business. So it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, there's no Instagram photos of Dylan on his new yacht. So it's I'm just kind of 
as I tend to do anyway. Now that I'm retired and I don't have any Instagram followers since I'm not on Instagram, I don't have to try to be a really nice guy to everybody. I can kind of just sort of say what I'm thinking. Sorry about that. But if people listening have income, do you work and do you get paid for working? Well, Dylan Bowman is doing the same thing. We were doing the same thing. So I think everyone probably should get paid for the work that they do. And if you don't like what they do, don't pay them to do it. Don't participate. If you do like what they do, then you participate. You pay a fair and equitable rate for that service. Yeah. So it yeah. isn't that complicated. And I think if someone sees me and my new boat, it's like, wow, okay. But uh, my new boat is a kayak. So it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah i mean there's a good there's a good way for them to monetize and there's probably multiple bad ways for them to monetize and ultimately it's gonna have to be up to them and it's gonna be up to us to make our thoughts known uh as to what we think is reasonable and what we think is not reasonable but i totally agree with you buzz i remember there was massive outrage when strava put a few things behind the paywall too and it's just like this is such a phenomenal service and we've all become so accustomed to just not paying for anything on the internet, especially. And so I think it's going to be hard to break that habit for a lot of people. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. And uh, hopefully we can trust them that they will listen to the community and uh, take feedback. So Bob- give, them, give them feedback and Dylan, I just want to note. So the quick uh, delving into the Strava thing, you know, they went Strava premium, as you well know. And after about a year, they laid off like 20% of their workforce. Yeah. It wasn't going. Yeah. And finally they said, okay, feature set. <clears throat> the feature set went behind that paywall. And it's like premium doesn't cost that much. And now they can pay people to provide the service that we like. Yeah. So good example. Yeah. So Buzz, you and I spoke yesterday and you said that it was misreported that you're going to be staying on as an advisor. Do you want to set the record straight as we start to wind down here? That was really surprising. Obviously, the uh, press release went out saying, and Buzz Burrell will be staying on as a consultant. All the announcements said that, and I'm not. <laughs> and it's interestingly, I thought I was going to be. They thought I was going to be. And we didn't come to terms. So I kind of have to say that I don't, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's, it's the honest situation there. Um, and I was, I have to admit, I was quite disappointed. I really had, as you can see, a lot of energy for this. I had a lot of enthusiasm for this. I liked outside what they're doing. And I would have been happy to stay for three months is what my proposal was as a consultant to help them just during the transition period only just to support them entirely. And wow, we didn't come to terms on it. It was, uh, I was, I was kind of, I was sad. I have to admit, I was emotionally sad. I had enthusiasm and my enthusiasm did not have a place to go. So I was quite saddened and surprised by that. So, so maybe we can, we can sort of end on this buzz, but you bring up sort of the emotional element of it. I'm sure it was hugely satisfying for you and your partners to see the fastest known time flourish and turn into this global phenomenon. Was there any part of you that felt conflicted about this? I know you said you were the one who went out soliciting potential buyers, but is there any part of you that feels like a little melancholy, a little bittersweet right now, giving up what was your creation? 
<laughs> um, no and yes. I think uh, no in that our ownership, which is us, was dysfunctional. I'm kind of just pointing the finger, you know, toward the three of us. We were like three guys in an inner tube with a paddle. You know what that means? It means you kind of just <laughs> go like that. Things needed to happen. We need to go to the next level. We weren't going to do it. We needed different ownership. And so I'm, this is not in doubt. Outside is, a, I think, is a good company. Everyone I've met there is really a nice person. The new person who's the, uh, what they call the product manager, is a sharp guy, very energetic guy, very nice guy. So I think that's a good deal. But, you know, as we start talking about it. I've done a lot of things. I mean, I mentioned a couple more things, but the list goes a lot. The list goes so far back. It's just absurd. And I start to wonder, well, maybe this is my last hurrah. You know, maybe this is my last circus. And uh, I don't know, but that part, you know, I left UD. It's like, yeah, man, here I go. But now it's like, I'm going to do a little more paddling, do more running. You know, I'm going to get it together, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be uh, seen in the public or contribute to our community as I have been this past 10 years. Hmm. You know, I liked contributing to our community. Dylan. I think yeah. you feel that too. Because look at you, you're essentially volunteering your time doing what you're doing this very minute. That's because you like the community. You like contributing and being a part of it. And I felt that same way. And so that the sale is not an issue at all, but me possibly not being involved with my friends, that feels sad to me. Yeah. I'm sure you'll find a productive use of your time. And <laughs> partner Peter Bachwin said on the podcast that you released last Friday to announce this news that he was feeling really at peace with everything and ready to move on to something else in his life. And Buzz, I just want to say thanks for what you've created. Congratulations on this transition. Enjoy retirement. Thanks for being so open and transparent about it, too. I think it's really important for us to have these conversations in public. I appreciate you coming on the show, and let's catch up again soon. And I thank you for your professionalism and for you what you're doing for the community and for being a friend of mine. And I'm, that's going out to everybody else who's listening. I feel like I'm in a room full of friends and that feels very warm. That feels very good. Thanks so much, Buzz. Thanks for everybody for, uh, for watching and listening. We'll see you guys again here very soon. Have a great weekend. <laughs>